Welcome to The Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. Hey, Jay, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. How about you? I am doing just fine. So are you ready to get to some listener uh, questions, comments, critiques, uh, rants, all Absolutely. that kind of stuff? Absolutely. Absolutely. Hear from the people. Yeah. You know, before we do, just a couple of quick administrative things. If you haven't yet taken the short and simple seven-question, all-optional Politics Guy survey, we'd really appreciate it if you could. It's going to help us uh, you know, expand the show, make it better, more of the stuff you like, less of the stuff you don't. And you can find it just by going to politicsguys.com. It should be the top link there, so real easy to see. Also, you know, there was one question in the survey, Jay, this happens all the time. I've done a lot of surveys, but there's almost always one or two questions that after the survey's out, Gosh, I wish I would have thought to include that. And sure enough, that happened this time, too. Um, So the question is this. uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I've actually stopped listening to a few podcasts, not because I didn't like the content, but because there was something uh, one of the hosts did that just was some, you know, a verbal tick, that sort of thing that just annoyed me so much. I said, I just can't do it anymore. Uh, And I'm betting that if I hear that with other podcasts, there are probably some folks who might hear that with us. We're not certainly uh, absolutely uh, perfectly polished. Doubtful, but... but Yeah, yeah, there you go. You know, kind of the... the, I thought of it, I was saying, Jay, it was sort of the podcast equivalent of having food in your teeth. And you really want someone to tell you, but almost nobody does. And so... This is this is me asking you if if there's something like that about us, whether it's whether it's me, whether it's Jay, uh, Trey, Ken, you know, anyone that we've had on that you hear that and you just fingernails on a chalkboard. Let us know, please. You can just, you know, send us an email, uh, mail at politicsguys.com. We would really appreciate it. Because if there's some little thing like that that we can change that might make the show better, we would love to do it. So. Thanks yeah. very it much. May, it may surprise uh, a lot of our listeners, but uh, neither Mike nor I have any training whatsoever Go figure. in broadcasting. We yeah. are not broadcast professionals, no. Uh, yeah, and, and finally, we also, we are not web design professionals. I just realized about a week ago that if you go to politicsguys.com on a, on a phone, a smartphone, a mobile device, which probably is where most people access the site these days, uh, you actually can't find the support links unless you look really, really hard. You have to be very dedicated, which is not exactly what you want. So I fixed that sort of. Uh, There's now a direct link. If you want to support the show financially, you can go to politicsguys.com slash support. Or now I put a menu up on politicsguys.com. So for people who are accessing the site on their phones and want to support it, you can just see it as one of the menu items there. You know, the reason that happened is I'm just middle-aged, you know, guy who basically uh, still does most of his uh, internet stuff on a laptop. And so it didn't even occur to me. And when I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh. So it's sort of fixed now. It'll look a lot prettier at some point in the near future, but I just wanted to pass that along. All right. All right, with that out of the way, before we do get to the listener questions, there was one thing I wanted to say about the big story from last week. And now Trey and Ken talked a lot about the uh, shooting, uh, the school shooting in Florida. There was one thing I wanted to bring up that I don't think was part of their conversation. This is something you've heard me say a lot. Uh, It's this, uh, I guess I'd call it the rush to judgment. It's, you know, right away, of course, there's a lot of finger pointing about the FBI and so forth. My my first question is always, well, does this have to do with incompetence 
or does this have to do with institutional structure and resources? And the reason I bring this up is that I, you know, I trained in political science. That's where I got my PhD. And my focus was on political institutions. And one of the things I took away from that is that oftentimes, while we have this tendency to want to blame individuals for being evil or inept or something like that, in an awful lot of cases, the problem really is with institutional structure or with bad incentives in an institution or with institutions that don't have sufficient resources or resources in the right place to do their job. Like, for instance, the FBI, I did a little digging, and it turns out that they get more than 100 threat reports every single day. And so there's this huge triage that has to go on. Now, do they have the resources to do that? I don't know. But the thing that troubles me is that we tend not to ask these questions and we just talk about bloated and inept bureaucracies. And these are the sort of questions I think we need to have more of a focus on. And that's something I just wanted to point out. And this is true, you know, not just with school shooting stories, obviously, but with a lot of cases where we feel that our institutions are failing us. Okay. Jay, any, I, I, any thoughts? Well, no, I, I think you're right in, in that uh, let's not rush to judgment to find out exactly, you know, to say there was, whether it's an individual, whether it's it's an institution or a combination thereof, um, you know, let's have an investigation and find out where the facts lead us. But uh, to me, there's still a, a, a point of, of you need leadership in an agency uh, to take a look at where these 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 things are going and, and some, sometimes sometimes it, it's only you know these these terrible mistakes that point out that there's a problem uh other times they they could be visible otherwise uh, but you know we'll know that when we know that yeah, so absolutely all right well let's move on to our listener mail first is dj who writes hey guys i've been listening for over a year now corresponding with mike about his new segment needless to say i'm a huge fan i just wanted to comment on the interview with susan jacoby that mike just had uh, she made some comments about far-right evangelicals and started laughing while speaking about their beliefs of being protected by God. It's ironic because— Those goofy well, <laughs> believing in their, their silly religions. Well, that, that was—so he goes on to say, uh, it's ironic because Mike asked her about elites earlier in the show, and I think in this case, she showed in her actions why people feel like intellectuals are elitists and look down on them. I really enjoyed the interview and want to express that, but also point out that this oversight that a lot of us on the right see in those who consider themselves, quote unquote, open-minded on the left. Many times, they seem to be open-minded to everything except religion. Sometimes it even feels like they are open-minded about every religion except Christianity. I know that this view <laughs> is shared by many in my circle who I would consider as moderate religious conservatives. As a self-identifying moderate religious conservative myself, one who tries very hard to be open-minded and accepting of all beliefs, it's extremely frustrating to be told by those who do not share my beliefs that I am a closed-minded, ignorant person. I think this kind of rhetoric is just as destructive and counterproductive as Trump's, and while I think populist conservatives have more outright hateful, hateful rhetoric than those on the left, I truly believe that this recent movement is a direct effect of this kind of speech and treatment from those on the left. I'm waiting for Jay. Uh, here, here from you, Jay. Uh, yes, no, I was gonna, I was gonna give you an amen, and I, I don't mean that in uh, any sort of ironic sense, but no, no. I, I think that is exactly, exactly correct. And 
um, uh, well, I'll let you finish. I'll let you finish the letter. But well, he he yes. you know he he asks for us to, asks for our thoughts, but he says you know adds uh, I know I think this is why a lot of conservatives don't trust the media because as much as the major media outlets claim to be unbiased, they're not, and they haven't been for a long time, which is why there's a demand for something as blatantly biased as Fox News. Uh, you know I and I think uh, he he makes you know he makes some interesting points, and he also asked me to pass his comments along to Susan Jacoby. And I did that. And she was gracious enough to answer. I really appreciated that. And so I wanted to read her answer to that critique of what she had to say. And then we can kind of talk about that. Here's what she said. This country is deeply confused when it comes to religion about the difference between respecting the right to freedom of religion or of non-belief and respecting the beliefs themselves. I do not respect the kind of religious belief that one sees, for example, after disasters in which someone whose house was spared by a, by a tornado will say, God was watching over us. Does this mean there is some reason God wasn't watching over your neighbor whose house was destroyed? I think not. And I think this is a harmful belief for society as a whole. Did Puerto Rico get nearly destroyed in Hurricane Maria because God wasn't watching out for Puerto Ricans, while Jamaica was spared because God was watching out for Jamaicans? My objection to fundamentalist religious belief, which attributes to God what should be attributed to nature, is not a matter of rhetoric, but one of profound conviction. You are entitled to your beliefs, and you are entitled to practice them with complete freedom under our secular law, but you are not entitled to my respect for those beliefs. Just as I am entitled to be an atheist and entitled to fully express my beliefs under our Constitution, but I am not entitled to your respect for the beliefs themselves. That your feelings or my feelings may be hurt when someone finds our beliefs unreasonable and or harmful is irrelevant. And by the way, this has nothing to do with liberalism or conservative. There are many politically conservative atheists, just as there are many political, politically liberal evangelicals. So there you go. That was Susan Jacoby's response to that. So, Jay, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts about uh, both about, you know, DJ's comments and and about uh, Ms. Jacoby's response. What do you think? Well, I, I think uh, I think DJ uh, hit the nail on the head there, and I think uh, Susan Jacoby just doesn't get it. Um, that's just, this is this is something that um, uh, troubles me um, daily, and and I'll I'll come that I'm I'm not an evangelical. Um, I I I would call myself a, a practicing uh, Christian. I was brought up uh, a Protestant, uh, a Presbyterian. My wife's Catholic. Uh, we go to church. Not every not every week, uh, but so I'm just throwing that out there as as, as background. But um, there is this this sense that you get from the left that oh we're so smarter than you and the the you know the Obama comment years ago about the bitter bitterly clinging to their guns and their religion and you know people realize when you hold them in contempt. Yeah, you know it, it's it's something that um, and I think the left doesn't doesn't get that the right gets that that. They're laughing, and you you know when people are laughing at you. Um, and the other thing that I think that the left misses is, you know, if if you're, and again, Susan Jacoby's response just sort of solidifies where she's coming from. Um, they often put up this this evangelical straw man um, that uh, oh, if you believe in something bigger, higher than 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 ourselves, there's a greater purpose. Uh, you know, oh, then, then you're just this fool who believes there's a man in the sky who's watching everything you do and, and so forth. 
Um, and, and I think religious views are a lot more nuanced than that. Uh, and, and whether you want to call it the more moderate religious community or the mainstream religious community um, and, and the evangelical community. Um, I, there there is, are a lot of folks who who in in the cases of a natural disaster, what else do you do you look to? Um, uh, but you try to find that there's some meaning uh, bigger than than just uh, randomness. And maybe there is, maybe there isn't. That's uh, as President Obama once said, that's that question's above my pay grade. But um, you know, isn't isn't it entirely natural if if you're uh, a house is spared by a natural disaster. If a if a loved one uh, recovers from from some illness, if you are you are you know somehow survive a, a you know accident, that you would look and and be thankful and say someone's looking out for me. And and again, whether whether you you assign that as as the uh, again, I think the left t- tends to paint this caricature of of what uh, religious people believe that oh when they say that they mean there is a guy in robes and a white beard watching down. And, and, and look, I think everybody gets that this is, is more complicated than that. And uh, it is, you know, a, a tenet, I think, of, of almost all religions is that uh, God's ways are not our ways, and, and they are necessarily beyond our understanding. And that's the whole point of faith is we have to have faith that uh, this, this higher purpose, and whether, whether, you, whether you want to give it a name of, of uh, God or, or what, whatever— um, is something that's bigger than us and, uh, you know, sort of defies our, our ability to really comprehend. And I think that, again, the, the left uses, uses religion as just this, um, putting up these silly straw men, uh, arguments of, oh, look at these, these silly folks who, uh, uh you know, um, who take every word literally, uh, and, um, every word of the Bible literally, uh, and they don't understand this, and uh, you know they hate science. And um, again, it's uh, well, I'm I not think, saying there, think, there are I some think... people aren't like that out there, but I, I the vast majority of evangelicals I don't think are like are like that. I know a lot of them; they're not like that. Well, I, you know, I think you might be painting a little bit of a straw man of of the left as well. There certainly are people who on the left who have what I would call contempt for our religious believers. Uh, you know, and. And, you know, I, I think of someone like a, almost like a Sam Harris, who I, I, I love for a lot of reasons. He's, he's a fascinating guy, but I think that's one of the things that troubles me about a, a lot of the new atheists is there is this sense of contempt. And I, I don't think that's ever uh, appropriate. But what I do agree with Ms. Jacoby about is uh, not about, there's a difference between having contempt and not respecting a view that you believe to be fundamentally misguided and wrongheaded. You can certainly say, well, you are entitled to your view. But you know, I think she's right in saying that if I believe that you, your view is not only wrong and uh, not only wrong, but actually destructive in some way of human flourishing, then, you know, of course, I'm not going to necessarily respect it. That doesn't mean you don't have a right to that view. You know, and I think there are plenty of liberals who understand that. Liberals who, like, like myself, I'm, uh, I guess I'd characterize myself as a, uh, a Buddhist stoic sort of person. I was brought up Catholic. But, you know, I certainly don't have contempt for religious believers, but, you know, uh, Catholics, evangelicals, what have you. But I do believe that many of them are fundamentally sort of wrong-headed in their beliefs. And, you know, if there's, if there's something I can do to show them what I think 
the right path but that, is. But that wasn't but that wasn't DJ's point. Uh, his point was when she said the you know mentioned evangelicals, she laughed, and that's the that's the contempt. And I think the point that DJ was making was, look, this is is poisoning our our rhetoric, and if you want to know why the right doesn't trust the left, this is one of those reasons. Uh, because they know that they're laughing at them. In this case, quite literally, you know, hearing them laugh at, and and you know, when you called out on it, saying, "Well, I this I dis I disagree with this. I don't respect that." Uh, fair enough. Um, uh, no one's no one's saying that uh, she has to respect it, or that the you know the Constitution somehow requires her to to respect uh, the religion of others. But as a practical political point, uh, this is why we have the distrust between the the different sides and and sometimes we can't communicate is because one side is going to take that sure. that view no, yeah. uh, and, and 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 again I, I think the other point he's he's uh, right about is um would uh would she have have made that same joke uh, or, or or laughed off the uh can you believe uh, uh what these these uh, uh muslim folks believe you know sure. that sort of thing no um, I, I that's i think that's a i think I that's mean, a fair that's, point that's something that yeah but, you know, I also think that there are a lot of people, I'd like to think I put myself in this camp, who don't have contempt and don't laugh uh, in any way at, at believers. You know, if I right. see somebody who, for, for various reasons, believes things that I think are both wrong and in some way harmful, my instinct is not to have contempt or to laugh. My instinct is to think, well, how can I make this situation better. I'm not interested in alienating people. Uh, that's a difficult thing to do, obviously. But but I guess in that sense, I, I would I would agree with you that that is Yeah, but DJ's, DJ's point was that that she uh, was. Yeah, and, and I don't know that and I, I would, think there's there's that sure. there, there's a there's you know, we're so much divided into tribes and you sort of signal where you are to your to your fellow tribe members. <laughs> and I think that's sort of the uh, the idea of, of the Hey, I'm not one of them. I'm not one of these uh, uh, these uh, uh, buffoons who who believe this. I'm I'm one of the smart ones. Um, now, now, and and that's 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 a big turnoff to to a lot of America. Now, of course, some people on the left at this point would point out that well, you know, people on the right are always talking about PC and how people are these fragile snowflakes and so easily offended. And isn't this a, just an, an example of this playing out on the other side? And isn't this hypocrisy on the no, right? No, no, no. But here's here's the thing, though. Uh, DJ is not saying that that uh, Mr. Jacoby ought to be uh, somehow uh, censored or censured for for that view. Um, uh, that she ought to go to uh, you know sort of a re-education, um, re-education, or or uh, 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 what, what what do they, what do they call them in Northern Kentucky, Mike? When you get uh, I imagine you've you've got some sort of sensitivity training. Oh, okay. Um, that uh, that you will have to, you know, mandatory sensitivity training. Um, uh, or, or is there any attempt to to ban someone uh, because they might uh, raise, sure. raise those views? I think he's simply pointing out that this is this is an issue, and if you want to look at a reason why the left and the right can't talk to each other, uh, and why there is this perception of of elitism. Uh, you know, by many on the right, uh, perceive the the left as elitist and out of touch. That's one of the reasons. Yeah. No, I I think you know fundamentally I agree with that. You know, it occurs to me that we've we've been doing this show for a lot of years, but we've almost 
not talked at all about religion and politics, at least not in depth. It might actually be something that, that would be worth worth doing for, I mean, we've already spent, you know, uh, quite a bit of time on this, but it might actually make for a decent uh, show or bring someone on sure. or something like that. You know, it's, it's uh, I, I didn't even realize until now that it's an area that we just really haven't touched on a whole lot and it matters an awful lot to an awful lot of people. So that might be worth looking into, I think. Yep. All right. Moving on. There were a number of people who commented on my conversation with Todd Feinberg about my ideological journey from right wing conservative, much further right than Jay, actually, to sort of the centrist liberal I am today. Um, And almost all those comments were essentially variations on the same thing as, my God, Mike, you let Todd Feinberg get away with so much. Why didn't you challenge him? more uh and you know everybody wants you to fight with everybody you know well i I think in part what todd feinberg does and i i I enjoyed it a lot but what what todd does is a lot different than what jay and i do and honestly in part he's he is a professional right and he's very quick and very ready and and in part i was just sort of blown away (laughs) a little bit by that and he's very good at what he does i think another part of it is i'm sort of leery to try to fact check in real time sort of thing, especially when I have information in front of me. I mean, a number of people pointed out things that he said that, you know, I certainly would take issue with. And maybe what I should have done is sort of basically, you know, made a list and then kind of come back at a later point. That probably wouldn't have made for a very compelling radio, I don't imagine. But I think another part of it also is, Jay, that that's just not fundamentally my nature. Kind of going, going after people and challenging people, and I, I actually it used to be. Well, yeah, you know, it did used to be. <laughs> Get back in your conservative days. It, it absolutely used to be. You used to lambaste me for being some kind of uh, mushy pink, kind of, of yeah, yeah, bingo. Oh yeah. Well, I was thinking about this because you know, it's you know you've mentioned before that people have you know kind of taken me to task for saying not challenging you more on some of the crazy things you say you know I, and I think it probably has has to do a lot with the fact that I've spent you know twenty years in a classroom where my main goal is not to try to alienate and and kind of be off putting to students but no matter what a student says to basically say kind of my my, my kind of go to remark when a student says something just bizarre. Is, Hmm, that's interesting. Okay, and and my my mind works to try to say, well, how can I integrate this into some sort of larger conversation and kind of pull it away from the crazy thing that this person just said? And I think having done that for two decades now, that that's sort of my default position when someone says something like that. So this is the case where I think my job has probably shaped me and certainly as you would as you just pointed out has changed me from being a far more confrontational person to someone who tries to look for some sort of common ground to start from at least that's sort of my take on it for what it's worth yeah so anyway just, just a little just a little anecdote mike get once gave me the advice of uh with the first day of of the new uh, semester or quarter you know when you're going in uh, to class and picking your seat always always choose the sit in the back in the center because that way everybody has to turn around and look at you. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. Those were literally words, words of wisdom. Um, uh, but uh, you know, part, part of the, I think often uh, people just come to discussions uh, or even arguments with different expectations uh, that they think that there's going to be a winner or a loser. Um, just as, you know, Mike and I are not going to, settle on what's what's the one true religion 
um, in, in a, you know, 10 minutes, five minutes of a podcast uh, or solve the gun control uh, discussion. Um, it, it's it's one of those things that a lot of times in a debate, there's not a winner or loser. Um, there's also the the point of sometimes discussions can just go on and on and on, especially those types uh, when you, again, they've been going on for years, hundreds of years sometimes. Um, that sometimes it's just you let the other guy have his say and, and you let, uh, you know, like in my work, uh, you let the jury decide. Um, you know, that it's not a, I, you know, there's plenty of times where in a deposition or a courtroom where a witness will say something that uh, you find truly unbelievable or ridiculous. Um, and rather than just simply belaboring that point over and over and over again, I mean, you commented on it once uh, and then you, uh, uh, you have other witnesses and you put on other other evidence and you let it go. And, you know, the finder of fact decides which is more credible. Um, I think it's sometimes just a just not a great debating technique to, you know, sort of keep harping on on uh, on something. So, you know, I or, or, or again, I've always, always said, yes, when someone says something that is just on its face ridiculous, uh, uh, you know, I'm happy just to sort of let that go and say, okay, well, uh, uh, there you go. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I, I think I think that's absolutely the case. All right. Um, let's see. Moving on, we have Connor who writes, as a Canadian, I feel a strong connection to the U.S. and its policies. I just finished the episode following Mike's journey from right to left. I don't like to focus on where people are on the spectrum and choose to focus on individual issues, but I guess I'm a socialist at heart. Good for you, Connor. Uh, that's that scares people. That scares people because they hear communism, but there are many successful kinds of socialist governing bodies that even Trump likes, such as his precious Norway. My specific question is, how do you guys feel about the U.S. moving to a basic universal health care system that still maintains a certain kind of free market for insurance companies for non-essential health benefits like cosmetic surgeries and dental and more? Well, Connor, I think that that would be a great idea. I don't think it's going to happen at any point in the near future, but I, I, I wouldn't call myself a socialist, but that's something that I think is a, a goal to shoot for, certainly. Jay? Well, I, I obviously disagree. I think the the free market is the the best way to allocate goods and services. Uh, historically, it produces the highest quality and the lowest prices. Uh, there are in healthcare uh, issues which are uh, make make the operating of a free market anomalous. Uh, anomalous. Uh, in in other words, it it doesn't. It, it's a difficult. Um, type of type of field to apply the free market principles to because uh, it, it's not as if you can always choose between well I'll, I'll either you know have, have the bypass or not um, uh, nor is there uh, the transparency that you have in in other types of transactions other purchases of well I'll compare this uh, product a with product B um, and you have insurance uh, put on top of it, and nobody actually pays the price that they're charged, and 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 there's so many layers of complexity. Uh, so my my sense is by adding more government into that, uh, and this is just again the, the ten thousand foot foot view. You you add more cost, um, uh, less quality, and and I think you right. can take a look at. And I, I I you know look I I don't know how everything uh, is in Canada. Um, um, but uh, I do know. I mean, the, there are many British folks who 
who have have uh, concerns, problems with the national health on those types of issues. Sometimes uh, how long you have to wait, when you can see somebody, uh, whether you get to see the doctor you want, all those sorts of things. So, um, look, I'm going to agree with you that uh, our healthcare system, uh, I wouldn't say, I mean, again, we've talked about this before, that um, for those, you know, probably 90-some percent, uh, it, it, it works pretty well. It's, it's this, this other group that falls between the, 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 the you know, uninsured, underinsured, uh, that we need to figure something out well, with. But, well, you know, you and I, and actually people on the left and the right, there's, there's significant agreement on a number of things here. Number one, uh, at least I'd, I'd say most people would say that other things being equal, markets are the best, most efficient, most effective way to allocate goods and services. Now there yeah, are I some. Think, people, I don't think Elizabeth Warren would well, agree. With well, you, I, I think she would, but but that's another no, story. That, that's another story. But the point being is that I think most reasonable people who look into the matter would say that uh, we don't have really, in general, generally speaking, anything much any better than markets to allocate goods and services, and also. The left and the right can agree that our healthcare market is a mess, a big mess, in large part because it's difficult for it to operate like a traditional market for all the reasons that you you talked about. I thought that was a great summary, by the way. The, the, I think where the distinction comes in is what where we go from there. And I think you articulated a conservative view very well that uh, uh, that really that if you add more government to that to that equation, you're going to get something that's even worse. And so in the end, you have a confidence that we might need to make some adjustments to the market and government might need to make a role there. But fundamentally, the market would still be the way to go just with certain adjustments exactly. given its nature. Exactly. Yeah, you need, you need to hit the issues where there are uh, anomalies yeah. where the market does the, the, the speed bumps, the, the um, um, you know, folks who, who with pre-existing conditions, yeah. that's something that markets can't fix at least easily. So we'll need to, you know, you need to work out something with that. And, and uh, in my sense, emergency services, that's another one. Yeah. Well, in, in my sense, and I think the sense of a lot of people on the left is we are a lot less confident in the ability for the market to figure out most of these things. And so that's why I think many of us look for a, uh, whether it's a public option type of insurance, whether it's a Medicare, uh, Medicare for, sorry, Medicaid for all type of thing, that sort of thing where we think that fundamentally that a market-based solution is just not going to be the answer. And I think that's the fundamental break between the left and the right on that. I'm going to, I'm going to add one, one last little, um, Bit to this. So just after I got done our talking about how you shouldn't just keep beating a dead horse, um, my the other the other I think conservative concern with creating this new entitlement is once you have an entitlement, uh, it's there forever. Uh, it never gets smaller. It only gets bigger. Uh, there was a a great uh, piece I saw about a week ago. Um, and I believe it was in the Wall Street Journal. Could have been somewhere else. But talking about the the where the money goes uh, of of uh, that that our government spends, and the ratio of the percentage of of um, money that is essentially transfers to individuals uh, has risen from about. And I, I don't have this in front of me, so I I may get the numbers wrong. But uh, something in the in the neighborhood of of. 25, 30 percent, uh, 20 some years ago to now, uh, in the mid sixties. Uh, and I apologize if I have those numbers wrong, if, if, but it's, it's, it's a tremendous, tremendous shift. 
of, of more and more money is going to pay out these entitlements to individuals. And we're becoming closer again to the, you know, we're in, we're a big insurance company with the military. Yeah. I think, Uh, and that's, that's the other conservative concern is, is when that happens, uh, it's bad for everyone. It's, it's bad for the, uh, uh, the government. It's bad for freedom in, in sense of, uh, more people becoming dependent on these, uh, these payments. Yeah. I think, I think the liberal response to that, I know my response to that is when you said, you know, entitlements, once they're there, they stay there. My response uh, coming from the left is yes. And I believe there is a basic right to certain things. I believe that government has a responsibility as do many people, you know, my colleagues uh, and friends on the left believe that government should provide for basic health care should provide for to make sure that people you know uh, don't uh, don't basically needlessly suffer in various ways that people have the means to lead decent fulfilling lives not not that they become dependent on government but that that safety net is there and I feel that's a, a fund that's as fundamental uh, well not quite as fundamental a task of government as national security because of course without national security you don't have anything else but it's right up there and so that's I think where we differ on that. Okay. All right. All right. Moving on. We have uh, Keith who writes, Hey guys, when discussing deficits, most political commentary falls into the Democrats tax and spend. I respect Jay acknowledges nuance within that, but it's still his starting place. A graph of deficit spending as percent of GDP directly opposes the hypothesis by showing the largest deficit spenders were Republican administrations. It doesn't appear Trump will reverse this trend. It's worth noting that Obama, the highest Democrat spender, raised deficit as a percentage of GDP less than Reagan or Bush 43. Even with the biggest recession since the Great Depression, Obama inherited an economy with 10% deficit spending of GDP and left it under 4%. About half of Obama's increase in deficit spending was in the first year with the shrinking economy. I don't think one can honestly argue that 2008-2009 was his fault. I also ran a correlation between the highest marginal tax rate and percent GDP growth since 1945. It's essentially zero. Yeah, I know. (laughs) And he found it's essentially zero, no correlation. He said, obviously, correlation is a limited measurement, but if the two were related within the tax ranges tested, you'd expect at least a small relationship. Note that this doesn't include corporate tax rate, which I've seen evidence supporting the argument that cuts can have a positive effect on short-term growth. I was born in 1988, so I don't have the memory to give Reagan and Bush one the same perspective as Obama. How can one interpret this information and deduce A, tax cuts reduce deficits, and B, Republicans balance the budget? Though I'm not an economist, I am a scientist. I struggle to find the data supporting how we discuss the deficit problem societally. This isn't intended to be a partisan hit. Democrats are certainly flawed humans, too. With deficit spending seemingly increasing under Trump as a percent of GDP, it fits into the historical trend of Republican administrations contributing more to the problem than Democratic administrations. What information or context am I missing or not considering? So, Jay, what do you think? Wow. Well, that's that's that was really good. He's done a lot of homework there. Um, again, I can't comment on on all the numbers he's he's crunching there, but. But I, I, you know, look, I think his, his sense is right uh, in that uh, during the Reagan era, there was a, a deficit buildup, uh, largely military spending. Um, I would say in the once you got to the uh, 90s, um, 
you know, in that case, we actually did balance the budget when you had a uh, Democrat president and a Republican Congress uh, that sort of held his feet to the fire. So we had a couple years of a balanced budget uh, in, uh, I want to say, 95 through 97, maybe 97 to 99. Um, and there was even a government shutdown to sort of to sort of force that point. But um there are a lot of conservatives who were unhappy with uh, George W. Bush in in that he spent a whole lot of money and not even a lot of money when you're talking about uh, was it uh, Afghanistan or Iraq, but building new entitlements like uh, the Medicare Part D, um, uh, No Child Left Behind. There were a whole lot of, of other um, new social program government spending that a lot of conservatives were left looking at George W. Bush saying, this guy's not really a conservative, uh, at least when it comes to, to deficits. So I think those those criticisms are all, all on point and all valid. Um, I guess, you know, what piece he's missing is sort of the piece I, I mentioned just a, a minute ago. Uh, it's not so much once once these entitlements are created, they grow and they grow and they grow. And there's nothing that can be done to to trim them. Um, so the the actual the the field in which in which we're playing in terms of of available money, discretionary spending, uh, keeps shrinking. And, and I think that's that's a big thing to to look at. I mean, because again, we're we're looking at right now paying for. Um, you know, the reason it's shrinking. I am not saying you ought to blame uh, Bush, Reagan, whatever. I'm saying. Um, you got to blame Lyndon Johnson. I mean, this is these are things that, that go back where these entitlements were created uh, in some cases in the 30s, 40s, in some cases in the 60s. And, and now it's coming home to roost because of the demographics and the baby boomers. And what it does is it keeps shrinking our, our available discretionary funding for the fun stuff like PBS and, and, and uh, national parks and all that. Um, and, and, you know, between between that spending and then um, – uh, the the interest on the debt, which again we've been pretty fortunate. I don't know what to say fortunate. Uh, there was sort of some design in it, um, but over the last ten years, you know, historically low interest rates have allowed us to to skate on that a little bit. Um, uh, I, I think that's I think that's the piece that 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 you also have to consider. It's not even so much uh, what one president spends or one Congress spends. Uh, it is what gets put in there that will keep increasing uh, forever and ever uh, unless it's changed. And those those entitlements are extremely, if not impossible, uh, to, to change. You know, I, I don't necessarily disagree with a lot of that, but I guess the question that that I would have then is, is it is it the is it responsible for the party in power then knowing that this is the case? Is it responsible for the party in power to uh Cut taxes and not cut spending. I mean, given the fact that, you know, the Democrats tax and spend liberal type thing, we've heard that for, you know, forever. Mm -hmm. Isn't it more responsible to tax and spend than it is to borrow and spend? I would, th I would think so. Um, although keep in mind, I mean, I, I, I understand um, uh, where our listeners coming from in terms of saying, uh, tax cuts don't pay for themselves, and and we can have a different debate on that. And and I know where you are, and you can you know where I am, and a lot of it depends on things like uh, various assumptions that that you're baking into the the system. But uh, there was something else that that Ronald Reagan once once said is that that no country ever taxed itself in the prosperity. Um, 
And I think there's there's something for that to be said. Sometimes I would say it, it makes more sense to borrow and spend than to tax and spend. Um, you know, do do I can I show you all the math right now to to back that up? No, but uh, if you're able to borrow it at low interest rates, uh, that is probably a better thing to do than to uh, create a, a drag on the economy uh, through additional taxation, um, especially corporate taxation. I mean, so there's there's a lot of moving parts here. So I what I'm saying is I would say never say never, but um, no, and that, that's a, that's an important, I think that's an important point to make. In fact, there were some on the left who've actually made this point saying that depending on what you do the spending on, it yeah. might actually, but that again, depends on the growth projections for that spending. And if you're just spending it on things that aren't going to grow the economy, and, then and you're that, actually losing out. Yeah. And it goes also to things like you mentioned, uh, he mentioned the, the corporate tax reform versus individual tax reform. And I think that makes a lot of sense yeah. because- Changes in the corporate tax system uh, are going to have much more dramatic effect on growth and on the economy than on the individuals, just because of, uh, one, the amount of money you're talking about, and two, corporations, that's their job. They have lawyers and accountants to figure out what's the most tax-efficient thing to do, uh, and, and your average person doesn't. I mean, it, it, it's you know, if, if the average guy gets gets an extra uh, $500 off of his taxes, well, it's good. And, and I think it's good for the economy. But it, it's nowhere um, uh, near the, 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 the effect of if you change an incentive that uh, has Apple move a uh, trillion dollars, you know, from Ireland back to the U.S. Right. Well, I, that, I don't know if there's not a trillion, but, but I, I think I think the total amount, a of, lot of uh, money, expatriated money is something in the neighborhood of like three trillion, I think. Yeah, and, and you and I would disagree about what the effect of that actually would be in terms of how it gets reinvested or does it create sure. how many jobs or is it just create value for shareholders and that sort of thing. But that's sort of a, that's sort of another issue related, but another issue. OK, uh, I think we have time for one more listener question, and it is from David, who writes, Hi guys, it's my first time emailing, but I'm a long-time listener. I think the frustration that people are having with Jay, there you go, Jay, this one's for you. There we go, I was waiting for this one, we hadn't had one of these. There you go, it's been a while. Uh, The frustration people are having with Jay is that Jay never surprises. Mike and Trey don't often jump the aisle, but you can count on both of them to do just that at least once every few episodes. Jay never does. And when I say Jay never surprises, I mean that I can always predict exactly what position Jay will take, which is that he'll always carry water for an administration that, while Republican, is most decidedly not conservative. As a never-Trump conservative myself, I see Jay's predictability as being indicative of the rot in the party's soul that has chased me from its ranks. Is this what my old party is reduced to, playing defense for a gang of high, high rollers that think all there is to economic policy is cutting taxes? I find it so disheartening that this is what conservatives are now settling for, because playing defense for Trump means making Trumpism the norm for the Republican Party. Jay's more Machiavellian than I am, so I guess it's something he's willing to go along with. At least, that's my view as to why Jay's been taking so much flack. He's kind of asking for it. So Jay, uh, what do you think? Are you asking for I am, it? I am. I am. Uh, first, I am. Yes, I am. Constant as the Northern Star. Um, no, I. You know, I, again, I. I don't necessarily get a lot of these these criticisms uh, in that I, I think I'm plenty critical of of Trump and plenty critical of Trump not being conservative. Uh, I think we we talked about that. Um, I wasn't on last week, but but two weeks ago with 
uh, with the spending cap deal about how this sort of proves that Trump is no is no conservative. Uh, and uh, I think I made the argument that this is policy wise a bad thing politically. It's probably a good thing for him. Um, uh, you know, it's it's not my my job here to to carry water for any particular administration. And I think I've also been pretty clear uh, throughout this that I was not a Trump supporter, was not a Trump voter. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a never Trumper, um, uh, but but I would say there were you know 16 other candidates who I would have preferred uh, <laughs> to him. So yeah, you know I, that's that's where I am now. If if you want to say uh, tax cuts, well that's that's really kind of a bread and butter Republican conservative issue uh, going all the way back. I mean that's sort of if if you want to talk about. Um, you know what is what is one fundamental of the Republican Party's view? Uh, it's that the taxes ought to be lower, and that lower taxes uh, give greater opportunity to individuals and to businesses to to live their own lives and to create their own prosperity, and that prosperity uh, spills over to the the economy as a whole. Um, that's not a Trump thing. That's that is you know sort of Old Testament Republicanism. Um, so again, I. I I, I, if somebody wants to, yeah, if somebody you know wants to write in and say um, the particular issue where where they think I'm carrying water for for the Trump administration, um, I mean, please do. But because that's that's certainly not my intent. My my intent in all this is is usually to point out here's what the traditional conservative slash Republican view is. Um, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, which to most of our listeners is is something new. I'm, I'm kind of like I'm kind of like your Jewish friends who explains Hanukkah. Uh, I was thinking the other day, and that's, that's kind of my yeah. role here. But Well, you know, I think, too, uh, sometimes my sense is that uh, when when you explain what the administration's position is or what political strategy they might be pursue, per, uh, pursuing, people can think that that's, uh, that, that's a, a approval of that, when sometimes it's just sort of saying, this is how I think it's they're analysis. thinking about yeah, this. this. Exactly. Is, yeah. And so there can be a, you know, there can be a, a distinction, an important distinction between, uh, between those things. So there we go. All right. You know, and I, I think obviously, so sort of we have a, a kind of a common critique, the, the standard critique of me is that I don't go after you enough. And the standard critique of you is that you carry water for the Just administration. Part of the Trump you know, administration. So, but, uh, but anyway, um, I think that about does it. Uh, just before we go, everyone, again, if you think that, I don't know, I'm carrying water, Jay, someone's carrying water, or you have any other uh, complaint, critique, observation, we would really love to hear from you. Remember, there's that Politics Guys survey. Just go to politicsguys.com and take the survey. That's going to be extremely helpful. And also, if you could let us know if we do any of those annoying, uh, like I said, uh, food in the teeth sort of podcast equivalent things, that would be very helpful as well. You know, listener support is what keeps the show going. We truly appreciate it. And if you want to help us out, you can go to politicsguys.com slash support. That's the direct link. Or just go to politicsguys.com and go to support in the main menu or click on the Patreon or PayPal links you'll see on the page if you're looking at it on a laptop or a tablet. And subscribing to the show really does help, as does sharing episodes. Whether it's to say you should totally check out this great podcast or you wouldn't believe just the total rot <laughs> yeah, that this yeah, liberal idiot Mike was talking, you know, um, or anything in between. It's easy to do right in your podcast app. All you have to do is click on that little share symbol, usually a little triangle thingy. And because, you know, word of mouth really is the best advertising and we greatly appreciate it. 
And again, if you want to get in touch with us, mail at politicsguys.com. There's our, there's our Facebook page where you can message us and we post stuff all week. That's facebook.com slash politicsguys page. We're also on Twitter at politicsguys. The executive producers of the Politics Guys are Michael Baranowski, Jay Carson, Trey Orndorf, and Bruce Johnson. Today's show is produced by Michael Baranowski. We'll be back with a new show on Saturday. We hope you'll join us.